Open your Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now, in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with the error which the Judaizers have bought into the churches in Galatia, which is you must be circumcised and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved, according to them. And in chapter 4 of the book of Galatians, from verse 22 to the end of that chapter, the Holy Spirit gives us an allegory to help us understand the difference between law and grace. Turn in with, with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 4 first, and then we'll be in chapter 5. Name of the message is Stand Fast. Now, the Old Testament is full of allegories that point to the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Savior for sinners. Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 to, 20, or to 31. Let's read that. For it is written that Abraham, Abraham had two sons, the one by a, by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now let, let that sink in right there for us as believers. He's writing to believers. He's just told these born-again, blood-washed saints that he's writing to that they're the children of promise. And remember who's writing this. This is Paul. He's been stooped in, in Hebrew history, hasn't he? He's been taught. Now he's finally been given an understanding of the promise to Abraham. So we as the children of God are the children of promise, the true Israel of God. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Why do people of the world persecute those who are born again? They've always done it. Look at that. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, there's no real understanding of the Old Testament until it's understood as a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the failure to see Christ the Messiah in the Old Testament left the Jews in their blindness, didn't it? They're still blind. Even to this day. And many Gentiles are also likewise blind, right? And remember what John Newton penned? And we can, every believer can say this. I once was blind but now I see. But lost, was lost, but now I'm found. It's wonderful. 
So we can't understand the Old Testament until we realize it's a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of him. Many believe the Old Testament is a book of laws to live by. They try to live by the laws that are in that book, in the Old Testament, right? But we saw this morning in Sunday school that if you, if you break one, if you breach the law once, you're guilty of it all. So people who are trying to live by the law are just heaping condemnation upon themselves. And you know what they are? They're self-righteous. They're trying to justify themselves before God. Christ fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures, beloved. They were all about him. They were all about his work. They spoke of him. What he would do while he was on this earth. And again, he came to what? Save his people from their sins. The Old Testament said, there's someone coming. And the New Testament reveals him, doesn't it? It's wonderful. The New Testament is merely a record of Christ's fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's a record. The message of the Old Testament and New are the same. Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is of the Lord, it says in the, in the Old Testament. And then in the New, it says, neither is there salvation in any other. And that's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation's of the Lord. Who was, who was Jesus Christ? He was the Lord of glory, incarnated in the flesh. Salvation's only in him. And, and that's God's message. And as a preacher, that must be my message and the message of my brothers who get up and proclaim the gospel. That must be our message. Christ came to save sinners, of whom I'm chief, Paul wrote. And I know we as believers, we'd stand in line with Paul and say, no, it's me. And the allegory which we just looked at clearly stated that Ishmael was born of the flesh, but Isaac was born of the spirit. And God plainly declares to his enlightened children, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. Children of promise. We're children. Let that sink in for us. Boy, may that, be, may that be warm our souls this week and be a balm to us. We who are born again are the children of promise. And that's not my opinion, is it, or yours. That's what the scripture states. And who's the author of the, whole, the scriptures? The Holy Spirit of God, right? Isn't that wonderful? Do we deserve to be called the children of promise? Absolutely not, do we? No, we don't merit it at all. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But praise be to God. The scriptures declare those who are born again of the Holy Spirit of God are the children of promise. Hallelujah. Did Isaac have anything to do with the promise that God made to Abraham? Isaac wasn't even born, was he? Yeah. Well, he had nothing to do with it. But we had nothing to do with the promise that our Heavenly Father made to the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. Isaac's physical and spiritual birth was a miracle, right? Because Sarah was past her time of, of having children. It was a miracle that, that only God performed, right? Did Isaac contribute anything? He contributed nothing, did he? Nothing. He contributed nothing to his existence in life. He was born. Well, beloved, we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And we contribute nothing to that. Absolutely nothing. It's all by the mercy and grace of God. And Isaac inherited all of Abraham's riches, didn't he? Just because he is a son. Because he was the only heir. 
He inherited all the riches of glory because he was a, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. In all of God's promised children, we have a full inheritance, beloved. We have a full inheritance reserved for us in heaven and it cannot be defiled because it's in Christ. Praise the mighty name of Jehovah. Ishmael was cast out because he was a product of the flesh and not a child of promise. And who was it that made the difference between Ishmael and Isaac? It was God, wasn't it? God told Abraham to cast out Ishmael. Who made us to differ? God made us to differ, didn't he? He made us to differ. So these truths cannot be denied. All who are trusting in the works of the flesh, they will be cast out of God's sight forever. Because they cannot be heirs with God's promised children. They cannot be heirs with God's promised children. And it's only God who makes the difference. It's only God. There's absolutely no room for man's work in the salvation of God's people. And the allegory we just read brings that forward, doesn't it? It makes a, a plain distinction between law and grace, works and grace. The two just cannot mix. They cannot mix, beloved. They're like oil and water. They cannot mix. And the, the problem that men have with that is, is it goes against their pride. Surely there's something I have to do. No. Trust Christ in him alone. And we do that by God's grace, don't we? And by God's mercy. Let's read verses 1 to 6 in Galatians chapter 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now again, the Judaizers had come in, and they said, you must be circumcised and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And what does Paul say here? Very clearly. He says that circumcision won't, won't profit you nothing. In the eyes of God. Because we're saved by grace alone plus nothing, right? No works of man. That's a work of man, isn't it? That's a work of man. For I, I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So if one says, if one says, you must be circumcised in order to be saved, along with having faith in Christ, now they've got to fulfill the whole law. And we saw in Sunday school today in James chapter 2, verse 10, that if you, if, you, if you break the law on one point, you're guilty of it all. And that brings forth the universal depravity of man, the universal guilt of man before God. And it says, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law. The law can never justify us, can it? Never. And it says, ye are fallen from grace. Now people take that and run with that verse. This is speaking of those who have professed Christ, but have proven to be false. Proven to add works to salvation. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith worketh by love. So he's bringing forth that that was a ritual in the Old Testament or something they had to do in the Old Testament. But now 
What is the circumcision now? It's the circumcision of the heart, isn't it? And that's performed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's an operation of God, the Holy Spirit. And we see here the Holy Spirit has moved the Apostle Paul to give us these encouraging words in the first verse of chapter 5. Look at this. Stand fast. Stand fast. Therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Well, we know he's talking about law and grace because we read the last portion of chapter 4. And remember, there was no chapter breaks in these letters when they were sent. They're just letters sent. So he's still on the same theme. He's still talking to them uh, uh, against the Judaizers that say you must be circumcised in order to be saved and have faith in Christ also. It's no different than someone saying you have to be baptized to be saved. That's just adding man's works. That's all that is. Baptism is just an outward show of an inward conversion. That's all that is. But there's sects out there that say you have to do this or you're not saved. Well, that's a false gospel, just plain and simple. Anyone that says, anyone, and I mean anyone, that says you have to do something along with having faith in Christ, you can mark it, it's a false gospel. And I mean anything you have to do. Something you have to perform. And, and remember, a work is not just something we do, it's something we think too as well. It's an action of thought as well. The Greek, the Greek word covers that, that it's, a, that it's an action of thought and deed. So thinking I have to do something to be saved other than Christ alone, that's, that's false. It's false. So we're to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, beloved. And God's preachers, we're constantly encouraging God's saints, God's born-again people, to do is, is to, 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 to cling to the scripture that says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. He's it. He's the end of the law. He came, we saw this morning, to fulfill the law, right? In our place. He's our righteousness. He's our Righteous. Therefore, stand fast in that blessed truth, beloved. Stand fast in the truth that Christ is my righteousness. And Jesus Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God in our place, right? According to the will of the Father, he made us righteous. Christ has made us righteous. Justified. That means we're rendered righteous. And he made us righteous in God's sight. And nothing that we can do enters into that equation. Nothing. He did it 2,000 years ago. We weren't even born. So stand fast in that truth, beloved. Stand fast in that truth. He made us righteous. How? By the sacrifice of himself. He sanctified and perfected forever all his his children, his people. Now, we're still sinners, aren't we? We're still sinners. We still struggle with sin. We will to the day we die. But in God's eyes, he looks at us and sees Christ. The righteousness of Christ, that's wonderful. Stand fast in that truth, beloved. This week, stand fast in that truth. And Jesus Christ is every believer's surety. He's seated in the heavens. He's making intercession for us right now. For all his promised children. For every one of his saints that he purchased with his precious blood. He's Lord of all. He's a sovereign ruler over the whole universe right now. And you know what? He'll never, ever, ever let one for whom he shed his blood for perish. Never. That's wonderful. We'll never perish in the flames. or we, we won't see the wrath of God poured out upon us in hell. And we won't, we won't. He saved us. He's going to keep us. No matter what. He'll not lose one. 
every born-again, blood-washed child of God whom he died for 2,000 years ago, even the ones who aren't born yet, if the Lord tarries and there's some that aren't even born, he will get every one of them. Every one of them. They all shall be saved. So stand fast in that blessed truth that if you're a child of God, you're a, children, you're a child of promise, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you or let you go. Stand fast in that truth. That's liberty, isn't it? That's liberty for us. Now, we, brethren, as Isaac was the children of promise, our God is immutable. He cannot change. What he purposed must come to pass, right? Remember last week I said he saved us on purpose? Right? It came to pass, didn't it? Hallelujah. <laughs> and every single one of his sheep that he's purposed to be saved will be saved. It shall come to pass. Stand fast in that truth. Stand fast. All has been fulfilled by Christ. Nothing was left undone. There's absolutely nothing for us to do. It's all completed. It's all finished. And we're free from the ceremonial law. We're not under the yoke of bondage anymore, beloved. Temple worship, Aaron priesthood, holy days, animal sacrifices, all these ceremonial laws under the Mosaic economy typified Christ and he fulfilled them all. He fulfilled them all. And God's born-again children are free from the moral law as far as righteousness is concerned. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for us. That's freeing, isn't it? Stand fast in that truth, beloved. And God's enlightened children, born-again children, have been set free from the power of Satan, from the power of darkness, and from the power of sin. Sin doesn't have the grip it once had upon us. Now, we still sin. But it doesn't have the grip it once had on it. It's, it's not our master. Christ is our master. And now what happens when we sin? We grieve, don't we? We grieve. And again, someone says, well, I don't sin that much. Just say, just look at your dreams. Right? Oh my. We have the liberty as believers. Think of this too. We have the liberty as believers to approach the throne of grace. To approach God's throne. We have that, we have that liberty to do that. To take our cares and our worries and anything in our life, any situation in our life, to the throne of grace. We have the privilege of doing that. Stand fast in that truth, beloved. Stand fast in that truth. We have the liberty to come here and to worship God in spirit and truth. To hear the gospel of salvation in Christ and him alone, of a complete, perfect, sin-atoning work accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Rejoice, beloved. Rejoice. And we have the liberty to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And to enjoy one another's fellowship. And we also have the liberty to forgive one another. The liberty to overlook each other's faults. The liberty to bear one another's burdens. The law of Moses does not give us that liberty. It's strict. But in Christ, we have that liberty. Stand fast in that truth, beloved. Stand fast in that hope. Look what it says in verse 1 again. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Look at that. It's not a question. It's not, well, he might have made us free. I love these little hinge words. Hath made us free. And be not again entangled. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to that bondage. 
of do, 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 do. And we can slip into that. Oh, we can. We can. I've, I got lots of grave clothes still, beloved. And sometimes you'll be reading scripture and one of them grave clothes just fall right off and you go, oh, hallelujah, Lord. Because we're all recovering Pharisees, aren't we? Right? We are. And we stand fast, though, as God's people in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. How do we do that? How do we, how do we stand fast? What's a practical application for us to do that? Well, we look away from ourselves. What is natural man consumed with? Self. What can we even be consumed with as God's people? Self. Right? So to stand fast in that liberty is to look away from ourselves. And how do we do that? By keeping our eyes, the eye of faith, focused on Christ. That's how we stand fast in that liberty, beloved. We must keep looking to Christ, right? As believers, we must. We don't have any other hope. If, if we get our eyes off Christ and we start looking at, oh, what's going on over here in this country? Oh, my goodness. What's going on over here in our country? Oh, my goodness. Right? Oh, this person made me mad the other day. Oh, my goodness. But when we get our eyes looking on Christ, all that stuff just kind of fades away, doesn't it? It does. I'm talking from experience. It does. I'm preaching to myself. Yeah. We must rest and trust. We must rest and trust in Christ and Him alone. He's our all in all. He's our everything, isn't he? And we must never forget that God has forgiven us for Christ's sake. We're forgiven for Christ's sake, beloved. Because of Christ. Because of what he's done for us. And we must be constantly reminded That our God is a covenant God. That we're his covenant children. The children of promise. That's what was brought forth in that passage in Galatians chapter 4. And we also must be reminded constantly that Jesus Christ met all the conditions of that eternal covenant for us. He did it all. So again, like Brother Tim James says, the gospel is a proclamation to, to, to God's people and God's lost sheep of what Christ has already done for us. And we need to keep hearing it over and over and over again. You know why? Because we're prone to forget. God's covenant of grace was absolutely ratified, which means to be approved and confirmed or sanctioned by God. How? By the precious, precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That covenant is sealed in his blood, beloved. You think of the stamp when we used to have paid in full. It's stamped in blood red. And he did that for us. He did that for us. He met all the conditions of the eternal covenant of grace. And so that's why we need a steady diet of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect redeeming work. It's finished. It's perfect. It's done.
And he did it for his promised children. And in hearing the gospel constantly, it enables us to stand fast. Because what does the gospel do? It points us right to Christ. It gets, we come in here, we sit, and we, we, we love our fellowship together. But when the gospel is preached, we're focusing on Christ, aren't we? When we're singing songs, we're focusing on Christ. When we're hearing the Bible read and, and, and the prayer, the prayer is to, to our king. The prayer is to God, to Christ. He gets all the glory. He gets it all. And remember this, stand fast in the fact that Christ hath made us free. Stand fast in that fact. The law has no claim upon us now. The wrath of God against us has been extinguished. I mean extinguished. There's no smoke coming from the, from the, the ground. It's gone. It's extinguished. The wrath of God is extinguished in Christ. He bore it all in our place. And we are now saved and redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of this, too. We've been ransomed from the slave block of sin. What was the payment? The blood of Christ. More precious than any gold and silver in this world. You heap all the gold in this world, all the silver in this world, and people say, well, that's precious. It doesn't even compare to the blood of Christ. Just ask his people. <laughs> we'll be more than happy to tell you. It doesn't even come close. So may God help us to stand fast in this wonderful liberty that we have in Christ. Let's read verses 2 and 3 now of Galatians chapter 5. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So again, we must keep this, these verses in context. People like to rip verses out of context. We must keep this in context. Um, the subject before us is the difference between law and grace. There's nothing wrong with circumcision if it's done for health purposes. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if a man submits to circumcision to make himself more acceptable in God's sight, Scripture says Christ shall profit him nothing. There it is. Nothing. Christ must be received as our only and sufficient Redeemer. If we add anything, 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 even a pinprick, anything, it's no longer grace. It profits us nothing. Christ in Christ alone is the only one, the only one in whom we can find favor with God. Remember what God himself said? This is my beloved son in what? In whom I am well pleased. He's pleased with Christ. So Paul brings forth here that circumcision profits us nothing. And if we're trying to gain merit and favor by God for it, as people are attempting, all people are attempting to do is add their own righteousness, supposed righteousness, to the finished work of Christ. And, and circumcision is just one thing. Again, you can say baptism. You can say following the law. You can say... You know, now, and again, the law is holy. We love the law of God. I don't want people to think we're antinomians because we're not. We love the law of God. We just know we can't keep it. That's all. But praise be to God, Christ kept it for us. But we're no longer under the law. Stand fa That's why Paul writes, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free. We're no longer under that law. And it had a claim on us, didn't it? It did. It had a rightful claim on us. Let's read uh, verse 5 now. It says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you is justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. 
Now, we must, again, keep this verse in context. People take this, and they rip it out of context, and they say, see, you can lose your salvation. There's absolutely no way that God our Father will fail to keep his promised children from coming to Christ by faith. There's no way. It's impossible. He will get every one of his sheep. Those our Father promised to the Son shall come to him, and they shall be in glory. And there's absolutely no way that our Lord Jesus Christ, our blessed surety, would allow one of those he purchased to perish. Not one. He said this, our master, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. So that's eternal life he gives us. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father, which gave them me, is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. John ten twenty seven to 30. So it's not possible for God to bestow his sovereign grace on his chosen blood-bought saints in vain. God will never allow us to fall from grace. He won't. Now, if it was dependent upon us, we'd be in a load of trouble, wouldn't we? We would fall from grace. But it's not dependent on us. He, those he saves, he keeps. But there are many who make a profession of faith who do not possess Christ. Some in Galatia, in in the in Galatia, professed to believe what Paul had preached, but those Judaizers had bewitched them and convinced them that they could not be true followers of Jesus Christ unless they were circumcised. So to have faith and circumcision. Now, if they continued in that religious belief, in the religion of works, trying to be justified by the law, they'd fallen from grace. They, they were never true believers. They never were. John Gill puts it this way. From the grace which they profess to have, they've fallen from grace, from the grace which they profess to have, or from the gospel of the grace of God, from whence they were removed, though or through the influence of false teachers. So false teachers came along, and they were removed from the true gospel. The apostle John wrote of them, and he said, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all, that they were not all of us. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. And we warn people, don't we? We warn people about trusting in their, in their works. Gospel preachers, we continuously warn people, don't trust in anything you've done for salvation. Trust only in Christ. Turn away from such sinful foolishness and turn to Christ. And we tell them if they continue in that state, they have nothing to look forward to but the fiery indignation of God's eternal wrath. And that will occur. And it grieves us when they turn a deaf ear, doesn't it? It grieves us when they mock our faith. When we proclaim to them that Christ is the only, the only righteousness that we have. And they don't believe. But always remember, we were there. Keep praying for them. Keep lifting them up. Just keep lifting them up. Those who have aligned themselves with us for a while, who seem to have embraced Christ and his gospel, and then embrace a works religion, they turn away from the truths that are proclaimed in the scriptures. And that's even more painful for us, isn't it? My, oh my. God is the only one who makes his gospel effectual by his sovereign power and his sovereign grace. He does not bestow his grace in vain, beloved. It's not bestowed upon us in vain. He will make sure that we never fall from grace. That's good news, isn't it? That's something to stand fast in, eh? He saved me. 
he'll keep me and he'll never let me go. And then he'll take me home to glory. Why? Because we were children of promise. Did we have anything to do with it? Nothing. It's wonderful. So God is the one who makes us to differ. He's the one who makes his gospel effectual. Look at verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Now the word for there draws our attention to the previous verse, making an obvious distinction between those who are mere professors of Christ, who fall from grace, and those who profess Christ. Those who are the true followers of Christ. Those who have true saving faith. Look, it says, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. The hope of righteousness. Who is our righteousness? Christ. <laughs> He's our righteousness. In other words, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts to reveal the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ to us to guide us into all gospel truths. And that's what he does. He guides us into all gospel truths, doesn't he? It's the Holy Spirit who fills our hearts with joy, beloved. Nothing wrong with being joyful. <laughs> we, we as the people of God, we have more to rejoice about and be joyful than anybody else in this whole world. I think sometimes we're afraid to show some emotions sometimes and to rejoice. Why not? Why not rejoice? We're saved. We're redeemed. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. All right? It's amazing. It's amazing grace, beloved. It truly is. Christ has entered into heaven itself for us to appear in the presence of God for us. And it's the Holy Spirit working in us, giving us faith to wait for that day, to wait for his return. And we eagerly wait for his return, don't we? Even so, Lord, come quickly, we, we sometimes say. Come quickly, Lord. Oh, and this is why we must have our eyes set upon Christ and him alone. This is why. This is the distinction being made here in these two verses between true followers of Christ and those who are not. And we believe God. We believe the record that he's given us. And we only believe that by the mercy and grace of God, right? But we believe it. We believe that salvation is all of Christ, all of the Lord. We believe that. How, how do we believe that? Because God's given us the faith to believe that. All by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the miracle of his sovereign grace. We renounce any of our own works, don't we now? I remember in religion, all boasting about how many doors are knocked on, or who I, who I witnessed to that week. You know, you get to church, you can't wait to tell people who you witnessed to that week. Oh, i got to tell you. Just pride. Just pride. It's not about what we do. And we, who are the people of God, have fled to Christ as our only refuge, haven't we? He's the only refuge of our soul. He's the only one. We have no other refuge. Other refuge have I none. And we have a strong consolation from God himself that we are the heirs of promise and that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing can separate us. Can death separate us from Christ? No. Can persecution separate us from Christ? No. Why? Because we're in his grip. In that grip, that hand is the almighty hand of God, beloved. That's wonderful. Stand fast in that truth this week. Remind yourself that I'm, I'm being held by God himself. He has me in his grip. And in Christ, God sees us as Christ is. He sees us perfect and spotless, even though we're still sinners. He sees us as perfect and spotless, pure, holy, undefiled, separate from sinners. He sees us in his beloved son. Again, we're still sinners. <laughs> we, we, 
We don't even have to get into that, do we? We're still sinners, but now we're saved sinners. We fled to Christ. And if we're in Christ, God loves us with the same. Think of this. I want us to really let this sink in. If we're in Christ, God loves us the same as he loves his darling son. Really? Yeah. Really? Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. I ask you, do these truths bless you? They do, don't they? (laughs) They bless our soul. Then, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. If these truths bless you, then through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. Keeping our eyes, keeping our, our, our eye of faith upon Christ and him alone. Our hope is Christ, not our works. Our hope is Christ, not our feelings. Our hope is Christ, not our experiences. Our hope before God is his grace, not our graces. Our hope before God is Christ's obedience, not our obedience. Our hope before God is Christ's blood, not our benevolence, not our works. And our hope before God is Christ's righteousness, not our own righteousness. Stand fast in these truths. And what what a blessing that can give us as the children of God through the week. Now let's read verses five or verse six. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And notice these words right here for in Christ Jesus. That's the key. That's the key of everything we looked at today. Am I in Christ? If so, I was chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's a truth. Am I in Christ? If so, I was in him when he was formed in the womb of the virgin, when he was born into this world, when he honored the law of God by perfect obedience to the will of his father who sent him. Am I in Christ? If so, I was in him when he was made to be sin for me, enduring the wrath of God as my substitute. Am I in Christ? If so, I was in him when he satisfied God's holy law and justice of God for me by the perfect sinless sacrifice of himself. Remember, our sins were just imputed to him. He's sinless, beloved. He's perfect. Oh, my. And we were in him. Am I in Christ? If so, I was in him when he satisfied the holy justice of God for me by the sacrifice of himself, enabling God to be just and justifier of all who believe. Am I in Christ? If so, I was in him when he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, And all God's children have been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ. Is Jesus Christ in me by the virtue of the new birth? If so, I am a brand new creature, a brand new creation. God has created a new man in me, which is what? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Isn't it wonderful? What blessings, beloved. If Christ is in me, God has given me faith to understand and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand why he came now. We understand who he died for. Sinners such as I. If Christ is in me, I know it doesn't matter if I've been circumcised or if I haven't been circumcised. I'm saved in Christ. I know it doesn't matter if I'm a Jew or a Gentile, beloved. Male or female, because in Christ, we're all one. We're all one. What matters is this. Am I in Christ? Am I in Christ? And is Christ in me? If so, by God-given faith, I've been united to the true and living God.
the Lord Jesus Christ and absolutely nothing can take me away from Christ and no one can take me away from Christ. They may kill, they may kill me, but they can't take the soul. Right? My, oh my. So all these blessed truths of God make an eternal difference between law and grace. And this is what Paul was writing about. This is what Paul was writing about. For the, and who was the true author of these words? The Holy Spirit of God. And what's being brought forth here is the truth that makes the difference between law and grace. And they were needful in those days and they're needful today too, aren't they? If we have not experienced the miracle of the new birth, the love of God is not being put into our hearts. Faith worketh by love. And in our, in our unregenerate state, we have no love for God, do we? No love for Christ, no love for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the contrary, the scriptures declare the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they which are of the flesh cannot please God. And you know what? Outside of Christ, we cannot please God. <laughs> this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. So that, that it, would, it would make sense that if he's pleased with Christ, he's pleased with all who are in him. He's the head, we're the body. He's the vine, we're the branches. Those who are led by the Spirit of Christ were not motivated by the law of Moses, but by our love for the Blessed Redeemer. We're motivated now by our love for Christ. My, oh my. My, oh my. What a Savior. What a Redeemer. Is Jesus Christ our Lord.